Hey y'all and welcome to the hashtag truth challenge podcast where I talk about the whole truth and nothing but the truth in regards to young adulthood, mental health and relationships. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Play. Please rate this podcast. Okay, comment on this podcast, share this podcast and last but not least, subscribe to this podcast. Okay, (laughs) stay tuned. Hey y'all and welcome back to another episode of the hashtag truth challenge podcast where I talk about the whole truth and nothing but the truth in regards to young adulthood, mental health and relationships. Y'all, it has been turbulent times out here since the last episode. It was already, you know, trying to rev up then, but we are in full-blown chaos right now in America. And I just wanted to take this time to just share some information and maybe some perspective. Um, I'm going to be doing a marathon of podcasts this entire week leading up to Juneteenth. Uh, So yeah, just stay tuned. So today, our topic is going to be African Black psychology, pretty much one-on-one, the basics as far as like um, IQ testing and just our psychology as a whole and how white supremacy has affected our thought process. So um, pretty much this episode will cover the foundation of the effect of white supremacy on the African, African-American mind. And so we're going to start with some definitions. So number one, what is white supremacy? Essentially, it is the belief, theory, or doctrine that white people are inherently superior to people from all other racial and ethnic groups, especially especially black people okay and are therefore rightfully the dominant group in any society this is the definition of white supremacy now you do not have to be a part of the kkk or boldly or blatantly racist to be considered a supremacist aka karen kevin or a kyle right you could be one of those people um, we're also going to be covering some some definitions of some words like Eurocentric or Eurocentrism or Afrocentric and Afrocentrism. So let's start with those as well so that we kind of have an idea of what I'm talking about as I'm talking. So what is Eurocentric or Eurocentrism? It is considering Europe and Europeans as focal to culture, history, and economics. So essentially, Eurocentrism is saying that white people are the standard. Whatever the standard is when it comes to culture, history, or economics, we are the standard, okay? What is Afrocentric or Afrocentrism? It is centered on Africa or an African-derived culture. So um, notice the difference in the definitions the Afrocentric view is not considered to be the focal point. It is simply a a mindset or a way you go about living your life that is derived from a African culture. Okay, we we was never trying to compete with nobody. Period. So one thing that I want to touch on that I specifically remember learning in um, African Black psychology in college where I went to a HBCU, the great Bethune-Cookman University. And this is one thing that specifically stuck with me as far as um, the effects that our 
people have suffered just over the years. So I'm going to focus on intelligence testing and how it affected black psychology. So um, most theories and tests were based off a eugenic view, which is the belief that human population could be genetically improved by controlling who was allowed to have children. So basically the whole idea of the eugenic view was to justify sterilization in layman's terms. They said, okay, this is where we're coming from with this idea and we're gonna use this to essentially control populations that we feel like are inferior to us. So in the 1900s, um, intelligence tests were developed in Europe and America, claiming to offer quote unquote unbiased ways to measure a person's cognitive ability. There is a French psychologist by the name of Alfred Binet. I don't know if you're familiar with him. If you're a psychology major, you know who I'm talking about. Um, and he came up with the Binet-Simon scale, which became the basis for IQ testing. It was first used in the mil military and like police academies, pretty much to be admitted. So you had to take this test, have a certain score, so you could be a part of the military or police academy, whatever it was referred to back then. And then it was also used to identify gifted and talented students or those with special needs. The argument was that the intelligence was based on biology. So those that had a eugenic view took hold of the test to measure ethnic minorities and whites or low income and high. So again, when they're measuring this, white is the standards. It's whites against blacks, uh, low income against high income compared to race. And it was used to justify systemic inequalities were partly a byproduct of evolutionary process. So they were completely ignoring the fact that slavery could have a part in, you know, our thinking and just the way that we are as a people and simply said, you are the way you are simply based on biology. Forget slavery. Forget that you were taken from your home country. Forget that, you know, we whip you, we punish you, we separate your, your families. We, we do all of these things, but we're going to ignore that as being a part of the reason that you have, you know, developed the mindset that you have now. So in 1912, there was a psycholo psychological bulletin and it characterized black people as this. The mental qualities of the Negro as lacking in filial, which is relationship of child to parent affection, strong migratory instincts and tendencies, little sense of veneration, which is reverence, integrity or honor, shiftless, meaning lacking ambition, indolent, meaning slothful, untidy, not clean, improvident, which is neglecting future needs, extravagant, which is spending more than necessary or wise, lazy, lacking in persistence and initiative and unwilling to work continuously at details. Indeed, experience with the Negro in classroom indicates that it is impossible to get the child to do anything with continued accuracy. And similarly, in industrial pursuits, the Negro shows a woeful lack of power of sustained activity and constructive conduct. 
So essentially, um, they're, again, not factoring in that um, you work us to death. Um, you're saying that there's a lack of relationship between child and parent affection. Uh, when do we really have time to be affectionate when we're being, uh, you know, taken from our families and you have us enslaved, you have us working to the bone, you have us just doing all types of things. You are taking away our culture. You're literally stripping us of everything that we are, but still expecting us to have a high performance on these tests. Um, saying that we're lazy and we're slothful and uh, it's like, bro, <laughs> we tired, okay? Like, we is slaves out here. We, we're tired. Like, what else do you expect for me to do when I'm literally, literally being worked to death? Literally being worked to death. And one thing that stood out to me in this, in this quote, when it said, improvident, meaning neglecting future needs and extravagant, spending more than necessary or wise. Listen, improvident, neglecting future needs. This comes from the mindset that, listen, all I have for today is what I have for today. Like, I don't know if, I, if I'm going to make it to tomorrow, the next day or the next day. So there's no need to plan anything for the future because I don't have a future in this setting that I have right now. So literally our people are living day by day. So being improvident, neglecting future needs makes sense when you see no future. Extravagant, spending more than necessary or wise. This is something that I can definitely relate to even today. We don't have anything, okay? Even back then, like we're poor, we're slaves, or we're, you know, we're working so hard. You and even after slavery ended, like you're paying us next to nothing. And even now in our black communities being poor and more impoverished, yes, we spend more money on unnecessary things or more than is wise to because when we have name brand things or we have things that are flashy, it's like a overcompensation for what we lack. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I already don't have anything. So let me go get this Louis bag or let me go get this Herms bag or belt or whatever else or this flashy car like we don't have anything so it's like anything that we do get no we're not gonna be that smart with it because we want to have something we want to have something in our hands and I, I feel like that's logical when you've been impoverished and you've never had anything right okay moving along we're gonna move along all right in 1924 Floyd Alport wrote in his book, um, Social Psychology, that another um, soci sociologist by the name of Gustave Labon, which is a French sociologist, was incorrect in asserting that basically the gap between inferior and super superior quote-unquote species um, and pointed to social inheritance. So basically what um, Alpert was pointing out was that basically there's it doesn't make sense for these things or these gaps or these differences to be biological there is a social inheritance so he's pointing out the fact that there are environmental factors that are accounting for the differences but nevertheless he suggested that the intelligence of the white race is of a more versatile and complex order than that of the black race 
it is probably superior to that of the red or yellow races. Moving on to the 1930s, uh, there is someone by the name of Raymond Cattell, who was a English psychologist. And basically, he talked about the backward branches of the tree of mankind and basically saying that the American Indians, the Black Australians, and the Maoris, and the Negroes had been driven by bloodshed from their lands, unaware of the biological rationality of that destiny. He advocated what he saw as more enlightened um, solutions. So basically, again, he's stating that Yes, um, you know, people are, different races are inferior due to uh, socially what has happened to them, uh, the, you know, the narrative that has been created for them. But here was his solution that he felt was more enlightening. Birth control by sterilization and life in adapted reserves and asylums where the races which have served their turn should be brought to euthanasia. So essentially he's saying, y'all go off and go die somewhere. <laughs> like you've had your turn. You've, through the bloodshed of what has happened, um, being stripped from your land. And yes, we're acknowledging all of that that has happened. But at this point you are inferior. So you just go over here in this little space and and die okay we've got reserves for you and asylums and you've had your turn so just go over here be quiet and die off essentially okay we're gonna move on in our years okay 1965 william shockley um speaking on genetic enslavement um, of african-americans Owing to an abnormally high birth rate, he discouraged improved education as a remedy, suggesting instead sterilization and birth control. In the following 10 years, he continued to argue in favor of his position, claiming it was not based on prejudice, but on sound statistics. So again, uh, with this uh, eugenic view, that we can control the the population and we can essentially basically you're born smart in layman's terms and we can control that through sterilization of other races that we feel like are inferior uh, we can prove this statistically as you know they felt like they could and so Again, just like Cattell mentioned, reserves, asylums, and Shockley's mentioning birth controls and sterilization uh, because we can prove that we can in improve the race by killing off everyone else and making them sterile. So essentially these theories and views uh, eventually supported segregation, right? Because he's saying that um 
there's an abnormally high birth rate so i'm going to discourage improved educations and you can still see that to this day in our black communities um that are underfunded uh the, the teachers teachers are underpaid so literally these things that were put into place and that were set in stone and this was not long ago this was 1965 uh, are still happening now. We still don't have good funding. We I remember being in Flint schools when I was in elementary and not having new books and having to share books because there were not enough and literally just everything going downhill in our education system. So literally this is some of the views that founded uh, how we are now. Um, now I'm going to kind of turn it to a different light. I'm going to end this on a good note, Inez Beverly, professor, PhD, was the first African-American woman to receive her doctoral degree in psychology. In 1933, her dissertation, The Non-Academic Development of Negro Children in Mixed and Segregated Schools, received much acknowledgement. Her findings revealed that black students benefited more in segregated schools because they were more likely to receive attention, support, and a balanced curriculum versus an integrated school where they were likely to have problems adjusting academically, socially, and in accepting their identity. Um, I don't know if y'all listened to the last podcast, but uh, my friend Josiah was essentially saying this, that we're better off segregated because we can thrive with our own people, right? Because there's no one going to be, you know, talking down to us, trying to make us feel less valued about our skin color or trying to tell us that we're not smart because of our skin color. So I feel like in in Miss Beverly's dissertation, she made great strides to point out the fact uh, statistically and with, with evidence, right? Because you know, in dissertations, you have to do the research um, that we are better together and with our own than we are with a race that has um, always had it set up for us to lose. Always had it set up for us to lose. And we can still see that to this day in, again, in our school systems and just everything that's happening in the world that we're always considered less than. And the only people that are going to lift us up are our own people, essentially. Okay, one more and then I'm going to bring this one to a close. Next, we have, actually, this is a married couple, Kenneth and Mamie Clark. Uh, they were influential in the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling against race, racial segregation in the Brown versus Board of Education, um, where Dr. Clark used four dials, and some of you may have heard of this um, test, it's pretty popular, identical except for color, to test children's racial perceptions. Their subjects, children between the ages of three and seven, were asked to identify both the race of the dolls and which color dial they prefer. A majority of the children preferred the white dial and assigned positive characteristics to it. The Clarks concluded that prejudice, discrimination, and segregation created a feeling of inferiority among African-American children and damaged their self-esteem. So again, there is proof behind 
white people just simply always trying to put us down and how these things are engraved in our mind y'all like literally how we unconsciously think us as black people we unconsciously think that white people are better because it has been engraved in our minds that that is so um when you think about african-american history that you learn as you're growing up in elementary school they only show or teach you um from slavery up until now and essentially that entire history is this repetitive narrative that black people are not worth it that black people are not smart that black people are lazy or heathens or beasts or whatever it is and although we're trying to teach history we're not showing black people in a positive light i don't feel like and i feel as though we need to go back farther as far as teaching uh african-american history like okay what tribes did y'all steal us from and and what type of kings and queens and princes and princesses however that is said plural like how great were we before slavery there's a certain narrative that we need to get back to to fully understand ourselves and become the whole person that we need to be um both of these psychologists were so influ influential during these times because literally they're proving the fact that your eugenic views uh your your centric or uh eurocentrism has had such an effect on the black race that for one as beverly pointed out it is not okay for us to re really be around y'all <laughs> because there's so much put down that we have no self-esteem and we thrive better together and even in the the brown versus versus board of education and and proving that being prejudiced and discriminating and with things being segregated it made us feel inferior more inferior right because okay so on one hand you know we may be thriving because we're with our own people but then on the other hand we feel less than because another group won't accept us that won't allow us to you know use certain bathrooms or a drinking fountain or a lunch counter or a bus route you know what i'm saying and i've heard um stories just looking up stuff on the internet where black people would have to take the bus two two miles out of town to use the bathroom so yes on one hand as um and as beverly pointed out like i'm saying like yes we thrive better together because you know it's us nobody's uh, you know talking about each other like we're all black we're all the same people it's no reason to really put down one another but then on the other hand it's like okay we're all together but but why why won't they accept us also right you know it's like i'm just as good i'm just as smart i'm no different from you so that is just a lit i mean just a small bit of background on african black psychology and all of these views that have had an effect on the african-american um psyche 
Um, again, all of this information is for us to simply be informed and get better. Everything that I looked up and researched is it's on the internet. We know that you can look up these things. If you want to look up these people, you can look them up. You can do your research. Um, I was a little rusty on remembering some of the stuff, uh, obviously because I graduated back in 2015. So I did a little bit more research to kind of refresh my memory so I could give y'all names and dates and all that good stuff. But, um, I think this is so important because we continue this narrative today and it's very cliche to say but you can't fix something that you're not aware of so i think that as white people it's important to do your research as black people it's important to do your research especially when we're like two and three generations out from the last um uh civil rights movement so do your research be informed i am going to be back all this week with more content for you all let me know um how you're liking it subscribe leave a rating or a comment share with a friend share with your family hey somebody put my link in their bio and i don't know who that girl was but if you like this content Put my podcast link in your bio, okay? And tell people to go click that link, y'all. I am so happy to be doing this again. I'm going to be doing this all week up until Juneteenth. It will get lighter throughout the week. So today was somewhat heavy, depending on of how aware you were of the content or not. But it's, it's going to get, uh, you know, it's going to ease up as we go on. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Hashtag Truth Challenge Podcast. Thank you all for your support. Please subscribe. Please like. Please comment. Please share. Peace.